working the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Lewerke asked for it and now has it. Lewerke will throw across the middle, got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines, he dives! Touchdown, Michigan State! He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Here's your host, Ryan Collins. Back at you, Ryan Collins, Nathan Stearns, Joe Dandron. Eric Bach will join us later in the show for the pick'em. He had some travel issues. He's not going to be on the show entirely, but you will hear him at the end for the pick'em. Um, finals week, boys. How we doing? It's it's all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I, I I got I got by on the hair of my chin on one exam on a Tuesday morning from a Cleveland hotel. But okay, I wanted to ask you this: Joseph Dandron <laughs> was in attendance. For probably the NFL game of the year, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns. Are you first of all? Are you alive still? Are, 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 do you still have faith in the team? I I I had some words from some I, sources that you were down bad. I don't think you should be down bad. I thought the Browns looked I good. Was, I'll tell you one thing, man. I was like walking down from the stands and like walking back to the hotel. I was in the dumps. Like I you was were a dude like, down bad. You're like yeah, the one I was Twitter like. Accounts. Yeah, I was just like, you know, like they're never going to be able to win this type of game. You have to win that game to prove it. Like that was a prove it game for me. And it was. I thought that was a prove it game for a lot of reasons. But when you look at like the fashion in which they lost, they're missing four starters in the back end of the defense. They're missing three DBs, Kevin Johnson, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, and they're starting safety, Ronnie Harrison. There were a lot of things that, and they're missing their starting a tight end as well. Um, Miles Garrett got banged up at one point in the game, you know, came out for a while, came back in. I think he played hurt really the second half of that game. So, you know, it was, I mean, I was really down in the dumps for like until probably about two or three in the morning. And then I, you know, fell asleep and I was like, I want to ask, how do you get a ticket to one of those games? You just go on step up and you buy a ticket. They're not like, so I feel like they'd just be sold out though. We, but we bought them like the Thursday before the Monday, we like, we were sitting there talking and we were like, we're going like, we got to buy them. And then we like took care of all that on Friday of all the, you know, like the hotel, all that stuff on Friday. Um, it was actually, How was you know, it I mean, being at a game in 2020. I mean, I would say that I felt that the Browns did a really good job of keeping people spaced out in the stands and that I felt, you know, I mean, everybody was not, people weren't not wearing masks. Like everybody was wearing them. You were required to, of course. And, I mean, I thought it was, you know, I mean, I thought it was as safe as it can get in 2020, right? Like, I mean, like you're taking yeah. risk by traveling to a game like that, of course. Yeah. But, and I understand that. But I definitely felt that it was like, um, really, I mean, I felt like the the organization did a good job of handling how they space out fans. And I mean, it's an outdoor stadium. You know, you're right on Lake Erie, like a lot of wind. I don't know. Just what was the atmosphere, though? Like, that's I mean, I was that was that I will say, even with 12,000 people in like a 60 plus thousand person stadium, that was one of the best. And, and granted, I'm a Browns fan, but it was one of the best sporting events I've ever attended, you know, I live in person, like for because of just like the robbery game, the team had a net hasn't been that good probably since 2002. And just like the whole like kind of like the like, like the euphoria and the camaraderie of like this like weird year and only being yeah. a certain amount of people in there i mean the place was loud i mean i mean and you and everybody that i heard watched the game on tv said that it was like very very loud on television i mean and i felt so like i've been to college football major college football games that i felt were amongst that same level of atmosphere 
you know? Um, I mean, it was awesome. And, you know, I mean, and just like I said, I don't know, I, for the team to lose in that way, I felt was just like the most Browns thing to happen. So I was down for a little bit, but they're nine and four, you know, Hey, on to the next one, they got the giants on Sunday night football this week. So uh, yeah, the Browns being on like national games and like being actually competent is a sight to see. I will say that. Um, but I mean, Hey, they're better than the lions and they're better than the Panthers. Nathan Stearns, are you ready to move on from Teddy Bridgewater already? You mean Captain Checkdown? That's the. Oh name. my God, you are ridiculous, dude. I'm not ridiculous. No, I just this this is what happens if you if you watch the games. Okay, this is what you do. There's 30 seconds left on the play clock. He checks the protection four times and then asks for the ball with two seconds left, and then there's a delay game or a false start. He's got a 14 to eight touchdown to interception ratio. That's not very good. I mean, he's a, he's a decent quarterback. I think he's a good mentoring quarterback. And I think he starts next year, but you need Zach Wilson or you need someone that can throw the ball beyond 40 yards. The fan- I'm, not, I'm not a Zach Wilson fan. After watching that coastal game, I'm, I'm kind of I'm out, out on Wilson too, even though I, he's a good college quarterback. I have questions about him at the pro level. I, I, I don't think, I don't think he'll be able to do it. Compare him with Joe Brady. I think he's good. I think he's going to be nuts. Whether it's him, whether it's Lance, I just the fact that Carolina has struggled on offense as much as they have each of the last three weeks. Just well, you had DJ Moore last week, but the week before you had DJ Moore, Samuel, you have Robbie Anderson. Throw the ball deep. They have Samuel open forty yards down the field every time, and it's a five yard dump off to Mike Davis in the flat. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I, the Lions sucked. I don't want to talk about You got a head coach, he, though. Seems yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Matt Rule actually seems like confidence. That's the first, that's the I, first step. I like the guy. I really do. I think they're – you're losing, but you're losing competitively. That's the best thing for that team. You're not getting blown out. You you went to KC. You lost by two. You went to New Orleans. You lost by three. You had a shot to win. You had a shot to beat Denver. You were in it with Tampa Bay the first time you played them this year. You were in it against Chicago. They're a couple pieces away from being okay, but they got a lot of talent. They really do. They sneak yeah, in you got wide receivers. It's like weird. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was yeah. just say you got a wide you got two you got two wide receivers, a running back, and a head coach. All right. you need, I mean, yeah, man, it's fine. Jeremy are monsters. Derek Brown's a monster too. So the, yeah. give them a little bit of time. Curtis bit. Samuel, my boy. First of all, I Derek Brown, God. Why did the Lions pick Jeff Okuda? Sorry. Okay. Let's move on to college football. This is a college football podcast. I don't want to talk about the Lions. It's going to be <laughs> sad and just hungry. And I don't know what I, I'll feel if I start going down the rabbit hole of Lions first and second round pits under Bob Quinn. But hey, champ week this week around college football feels a little bit different because there's a lot of games still. There's a lot of rescheduling. There's a couple SEC games. Couple Big Ten games. Michigan State's not playing this week. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already knew that their game got canceled against Maryland because they had COVID issues. We don't know if Michigan State's going to play the rest of the year. There's a lot to be said. Tucker said he would like to play in a bowl, but I I don't think it's maybe smart to play in a bowl at this part of the year, and, and, and especially for a bunch of kids who have not been home since the middle of the summer. I could see Michigan State declining a bowl bit just for the fact that they would let their kids like be at home for the holidays. So I, I, I mean, we'll keep you locked in on that. But champ, we it's got a weirder feeling, and, and, and we kind of talked about this as we pre-recorded the pick'em. 
Why is the Big Ten championship game at noon this year? It's just throwing me off. I well, no, I was talking about that with somebody yesterday. I don't get why that they made it the Fox Big Noon kick. Like, I'm sorry, but the Big Ten championship should not be played at noon. No, no it like, never should. I get it. I get it. Like, if you play at 7:30, yeah. Are you competing with Alabama, Florida? Sure. Who cares? Play the game anyway at night because I'm going to watch that and I'm not going to watch for Alabama because guess what? I live in Michigan. Well, you're competing with Iowa State, Oklahoma, regardless. I mean, every single year, it's usually the ACC yeah, championship game and the Big Ten one. And the Big Ten I just one, don't understand. I just don't understand from a TV standpoint, like how does that – what does that do yeah. for your viewership to put it at noon? I don't think it helps it. Yeah, I mean, opinion. I think there's going to be – I mean, it's Ohio State, so there's going to be a ton of people watching regardless. I think Je- old Jeff is not going to want to – Jeff Dandrew is not going to want to get up at noon to watch the Bucks. Yeah, that is true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why it's on 8 a.m. 8 p.m. It's kind of like a tradition, too. It's kind of a weird thing. It was kind of funny. Fox College Football was doing a little uh, – like the because this is the 10th year of the Big Ten Championship game. I went to the first one. Michigan State played Wisconsin. Broke my little heart. Russell Wilson, he did. Um, they were talking about, like, the best memories. And Gus Johnson has the audacity to pick the worst game maybe in the Big Ten Championship history. Is his favorite. Which one did you pick? He picked, like – Ohio. it was cool to see Cardell Jones – like come in but that was maybe the worst football game i've ever watched it was like 58 to nothing yeah it was a blowout i remember that that was absolutely that's my favorite memory i'm like well you had a pretty good penn state wisconsin game michigan state's been in a couple really good big 10 championship games ohio state i mean it it was was the wisconsin was the wisconsin one the no that was a different wisconsin michigan state game the hail mary no, that was the same year. I think the Wisconsin-Michigan State one was probably the best game in the Big Ten Championship history. It was just a lot of things happened. Russell Wilson was really good. Kirk Cousins was really good that game. Other, I mean, the Michigan State-Iowa game was a horrible game. If you watch it from just like a, a bias, like not a bias, like if you watch it from just a fan, like you're not a fan and not watching that game, it was horrible. None of the offenses can move the football. I didn't, Both those teams, like talent level was like, eh, it was meh. I, and second best was probably that Penn State Wisconsin game. That was a really good game. That Penn State Penn State was just going deep every play. The underthrown ball by Trace McSorley, Godwin coming back. It, it, that was a good game. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was pretty crazy. Penn State winning the Big Ten in the last like five years is something that I just forget about. Very forgettable year. Everybody does. 10. Everybody does. Okay. Let's move on to Michigan State since we're already talking about Penn State Spartans. Lose 39 to 24 against Penn State, outscored by 25 in the second half. Payne Thorne looks very good, especially in the second quarter 22 for 39, 325 yards, three TDs, one interception. Jordan Simmons finally gets back on the field, gets some touches, and he looks very good too. He had 14 carries, 72 yards. Naylor continues his pretty solid season, six catches, 100 yards, two TDs. Trayvon Morgan, Six seven, a guy we haven't really seen a whole lot. A guy out of Maslin, Ohio, looks like he could be a weapon the past couple of years, and the next couple of years. Excuse me, two catches, forty six yards, one TD, a fantastic touchdown at the end of that first half. Great catch over two defenders. I mean, MSU outscored Penn State twenty one to seven. Was up, I believe, eleven. No, they were up ten going in the half. Right, no, twenty one. They're up eleven. They're up, okay, twenty one ten, and then. The defense is so horrible in the second half. And I think that was the first time for this defense who I think has played really hard and has been pretty respectable 
with the talent level that they have at some of their position groups was kind of embarrassed. And, and I don't think Penn State's overall that good of an offensive team. So I, I think this is probably their worst performance on the season. But I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you don't think so? You can. Well, I think that's a level. I throw that out. Like Penn State has not been that good. I, I think the Rutgers game was is bad then. I mean, the Rutgers well, game was worse than this. Too. Well, well, yeah, the there's Rutgers also Iowa. Seven, I mean, I yeah, I was probably the worst, but they didn't have Antoine Simmons for the majority of that game. So I'll give them the That's true. But like But yeah, but I don't know. I don't know, man. My thing with this game was you had the best 15 minute stretch of this offense and probably his football team had looked. That second quarter was probably yeah. the best his team has looked in the entire season, I would say. And I'll say and, this. Uh, you're right. And they as Mel Tucker says, they play complimentary football, Joe. Always. No, but that's what that to. second quarter was, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was three phases of a football game being played in the right way, and no team, no aspect of those three phases getting the other let down. And I thought that was interesting, and I think that this team, especially when you look at just what happened in the second half, I mean, Thorne recognized it after the game. I mean, he and he's a coach's son. Like I get he he t- he takes seems to me that he's a pretty like realistic person from a football standpoint, and. I think that, you know, with how well he played, I mean, he was like, well, we got, we got to play better in the second half. And it was super, super obvious. I couldn't tell you exactly what happened in the second half. It just looked like Penn State kind of figured some things out and made adjustments to begin getting pressure on Thorne. And also, Michigan State's offense got really, really, really stagnant. I mean, to win that game, you probably were going to have to score 30-plus points if you're Michigan State. You weren't going to be able to just win with a 21-10 lead, in my opinion. You had to continue to score. Um and the defense really just didn't play that well. I mean, you look at what Penn State did in the second half, scoring, what, 29 points? Like, you can't – if you're a defense, that just can't happen. Um, you know, obviously Michigan State had some short drives, whatever, but I don't know. Um, really, it looked like Michigan State could win that game, and then the punt return happened. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that – the game kind of slipped away from them when they didn't score because they drove down the field in the second half. They didn't score in the red zone. And at Penn State was, uh, I mean, they couldn't be stopped in the second half. Punt return. That kid's a stud. I don't know what his name is. And Nate, Jahan Dotson. Dotson. He's Dotson. a stud. He's a, yeah, he's a player. And he returns a punt. And the game was basically over. After that, Michigan State couldn't protect Thorne for the rest of the game. They had no rhythm on offense. But I, I, I'll start with the positives. We'll start with the glass half full. That second quarter, you saw tangible evidence that Peyton Thorne could be a productive quarterback at a college level. Like he was making big time throws and making big time plays in that stretch of game. Well, that was the interesting thing for me is because you Thorn, you said you said Thorn was making big time plays. Sorry, I mean he um, that's like he was like spotting the ball. Like you, th- you yeah. saw him make a bad shoulder throw. You saw him that throw that Morgan. That was a great catch by Morgan. That was a fantastic throw by Peyton Thorn too. Yeah, but you're also if you're a quarter. Y- 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 I, I it was a good play, but you're also not the biggest fan of throwing into double coverage. I understand that, but I'm just saying he he made some plays that you saw like high level Michigan State quarterbacks in the past. Like that's something that they that's something Connor Cook did. I'm not comparing him to Connor Cook because he's probably the best. But I get what you're saying. He was like making he, throws. I mean, and frankly, he was making throws. Right, he was unafraid. He looked unafraid. Yes, he was making. He was confident in his arm. He was making throws that looked like the guy was confident. It was that, that was the biggest thing after you throw the you throw the interception on the first 
That was a wild play. The ball's fumbled. You get the ball back. You go three and out again, despite having really good field position. He would. He had a very short-term memory, which is something you want to see. He's got a very, very good connection with Jaden Reed. He is the best quarterback that this team has, bar none, at getting him involved. And yes, a lot of that. They got everyone involved. I know, but I'm. There are times when, when Lombardi, like when Lombardi plays, you don't see a lot of Jaden Reed. You see Naylor, but you got Morgan involved. Heck, they even had a couple nice throws. Dawson got involved. So. I, I like the ability to spread the ball around, and maybe it's just me, but I think Jay Johnson looks like a more comfortable play caller when Thorne's in the game. You saw the same thing against Ohio State, and then Thorne goes 11 of 11 before making a couple of mistakes, but he's got he's got it. Like, he, th- there's enough there where you can work with it. There really is. He's, he's more of a traditional quarterback. He's good with his footwork. He's good with his progressions. He's versatile. He has weapons, but – He's also young, and you, you didn't see enough this year to make a verdict one way or the other. At least I did. I, I still think the jury's out on him one way or the other. I think you've seen enough to say he could be this, but who knows. But th- that first quarter was the best that any Michigan State quarterback has played maybe over the last two seasons. Yeah, he, and the, they ran the ball too in that stretch too. They did. They moved people. They moved people, and you saw shades of what you did against Michigan and what you did against Northwestern because he was smart. They kept – there were smart, smart passes. They're, it, taking what Penn State's giving you, he, he didn't press things. But he just – I liked what I saw. The only problem is, obviously, you come out in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, you're at score 29-3 to three in the second half. I mean, it's a game of adjustments. And Penn State went into halftime, and my God, did they absolutely blow Jay and Mel and everybody else out of the water. I mean, Michigan State looked like they didn't have an answer. The offensive line regressed to a mean. You saw Matt Carrick have a couple of boneheaded penalties. You had sacks. You had pressure. The running game went in the toilet, and Thorne was running for his life again. So that there was a stretch. I, I agree with both of you, but you needed to see more of it. It just – you, good teams go for the jugular in that instance. You have the momentum going into halftime. You don't come out resting on your laurels because then that's exactly what happens. But Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I was impressed. And like you said, Stearns, two games, him starting, him getting some limited action against Indiana, it's not enough to make a decision on him. And, and, and we're going to get into it when we start talking about recruiting and guys coming into the Michigan State program. There's going to be a competition. There, there's going to be a competition whenever spring football happens this year because I don't know how they're going to handle that, especially in the year of pandemic. Maybe they don't even have spring football. Uh, you could That's something that could happen. I don't know. But I, football has so much money, they probably will have it. I was impressed. I, 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 just saw, I think you saw a little bit of tangible evidence that he might not just be like a mediocre guy. You know what I mean? Like you saw like there could be a ceiling on this guy a little bit higher than I thought. What I saw, because when he came in, I just was like, oh, he's a quarterback. I think he's the best guy for the team right now. I saw someone who's maybe the best guy for the team in the future. And, and, and the one thing I'll say, he got after guys. And you could see that on the side. He was, he seemed to be a little bit more of a fiery competitor than Lombardi because he, he, I, I, he was arguing with coaches and, and, and getting in players' ears. I, I Personally, I mean, some people don't like that. I would like that. 
a little bit more fiery competitor. I, and I get it was his one opportunity to start this year, so you're not really going to see that out of Lombardi. But I was impressed with Peyton Thorne. Other than that, I mean, we can talk about um, – I want to talk about this defense for a little bit because Shakira Brown, Naquan Jones, both deciding that they are under the NFL. I'm ve- I, I don't know how I feel about this defense because I think Antoine Simmons – is going to be gone too. I hope he does. I hope he decides to go to NFL because I think he deserves to play in the NFL because he's a smart, physical, tough, hard-nosed player and, and seems like a very good person. I hope he makes it in the Nets level. I don't know where this defense goes because I think you're losing. I, I mean, Shakir Brown's been all right. I think he's been a little overhyped for what he really has been. He's been good. He's been a very good cornerback in the bed, Big Ten this season. Um, I don't think he's going to be like a star at the Nets level, but you look at the secondary play. I think he can definitely play the next level because of his. No, ability. he can. He's he's a big dude. Yeah, and he's fast too for his size. But yeah. he's got to. He needs to like figure some things out. Tech, you know, like I mean, who am I to say? You know, like I don't play cornerback at a Division One level, so who am I to say? But I mean, when you look at the numbers when like, when they face these top receivers in the conference, it's not pretty. Don't yeah. get me wrong. You know, Ohio State's defense has the defensive back of the year in the Big Ten, and they gave up 400, almost 500 passing yards to Indiana's quarterback. So one guy doesn't necessarily make it up for you. I get that. But I do think there's some things that need to be figured out on his end, you know, I mean, to really, really have success the next level. But do I think he can play and be on a team and be on a roster and go get his money? Yeah, and he should. But that's just kind of my take, service level on it. I don't know. I think Naquan Jones would actually play at the next level, too. In some capacity, he the size to do it. He definitely has the size. He's a talented guy. I mean, the production's not really there, but like the skill level is there. Yes, I would say the upside for him is the big factor. Like, there's a lot of upside with what he can be, and I think that that's what teams are going to look at when you know evaluating him in the pre-draft process. However, they do that, you know, and I mean, and I he'll test athletically probably very well. I've seen the dude dunk, you know, and like. He's like, you know, I mean, he's an athlete. He's a great athlete. Um, and it's, you know, and he, he can move, he's fast, you know, and he's incredibly strong, but it's just whether or not from a technique standpoint, can he figure some things out? I think if he does that, then, you know, get some pass rush moves, get some different moves in his bag. Then I think, yeah, sure. Why can't he be successful at the next level? Um, but a lot of things are going to need to go his way and teams are going to probably need to let him develop a little bit. Two things. One, Shakur Brown he has to stop being the boomer bust corner at the NFL. That's going to drive teams nuts. Yes, he goes after the ball, but when he's good, he's good. But there's been plays this year. I'm thinking back to that Indiana game where he tried to undercut that route to Fry Fogel and Fry Fogel goes 50 yards when things like that happen. That's kind of what I was referring to. It's, it's the you the ball the ball hawking ability is there. But you can't be trying to go for a pick six every time. Sometimes you just have to keep the guy in front of you and play the ball a little bit better. I think that's his biggest issue is inconsistency. Naquan's got to prove he can rush the passer on a consistent basis because, frankly, Jacob Slade was better at rushing the quarterback, getting quarterback hits. Yeah, but is that him, though? He, he's more like in the NFL level, there's like guys who say, hey, you're only going to play on first and second down. But you can pick up an adequate A-gap run-stopping defensive tackle anywhere. I mean – That's his, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He might be uh, have a future. He's going to 
differentiate himself from anybody else. I don't know. That's a decent point. There are so many NFL defensive tackles who exist for the sole aspect of plugging an A-gap. Okay, I mean, what's that? uh, that, Look at the Lions. That's the only reason you signed Danny Sheldon. That's the only thing that Snacks Harrison was any good at. Yeah. So if you can't rush the passer or at least collapse the pocket a little bit, then I think he's a practice squad guy. I think the production was lacking. I think he kind of goes in the way of Raekwon. I think they both have very similar playing styles. They both know what they're doing. They're both very strong players. They're both good run-stopping guys. But Raekwon was riding on the Eagles practice squad until a couple weeks ago. So I don't – I think Raekwon he's going... was better too. Let's, I, I, he was a better player than Natron. Let's I... – Oh yeah, yeah. So I yeah, I, I get what you're saying. That's not where I was really going with this conversation, but I am actually happy that we had a little NFL discussion there about their futures in the league. I I, I don't know who replaces a Shakir Brown because Chris Jackson not on the team right now, which is a weird. That's a weird situation. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that, but I there's questions about why. You know, I mean, I'm kind of curious as to what that might be. I I mean I'm not gonna say I I just I think he just doesn't want to he's just not playing like he it's not I don't think he did anything or something like that he's just like I don't want to play football right now it's it's somewhere along the lines of that his parents um, are both alum so like I don't yeah know. so I I mean we'll see he might rejoin the team and he started earlier in the year so I, I mean they were high on him earlier this year um, yeah they were yeah I think so, a guy who, I think a guy who definitely could you know step into maybe. And this is a maybe you're going to need some to see some development in the offseason. I think Angelo Gross is a guy to watch. But do you sure. want to keep him like inside what he's doing? Because he's been productive doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair point, too. But I mean, if he's your best corner, he's your best. He, I mean, he could potentially be your best corner next year. And if he is, mm-hmm. he is. And you're going to have to play him and that, you know, on the outside against probably the team's best receiver. Um, and it's, I mean, who, I mean, who, when you look at the cornerback depth, where else do you go? I is kind of my question. Like you're going to need to see a lot of development from guys like Kalen Kalan-Gervin. Um, you know, obviously Chris Jackson, we don't know what's going on with that. But I think Gervin has improved mightily. Me and Stern's kind of talked about this pre-show. I, he, he's gotten beaten a couple of times, but he's made it tough on like, like he made a couple of nice plays against Penn State. I, I've been impressed what he's done. He's a very good press corner. Deion Williams is not bad too. That's another guy that's kind of factored in. And then you're bringing in, 85 decent secondary players. I know we'll get to it in a little bit, but I think they have enough going forward. I, Ger, Gervin, I think, is your best corner, bar none. He doesn't get he, – he did not get the deep very often at all. He's a very good up-in-your-face press corner. Shakir's more of like a deep – more of like a deep drop corner more than anything else. Maybe in well, never mind. That's a whole other conversation back to Brown's NFL. I keep in the nickel too, but I I agree in the his open field tackling, especially against Northwestern, was sensational. I mean, this kid just wraps people up and brings them down at first contact, which is something they need. And then you've seen you've seen shades of Davion Williams factoring in. So I'm not too terribly worried about the secondary. I actually I'm not as worried about the defense as I think a lot of people are. I'm not. I. Most you're most likely going to have Noah Harvey back. I'm assuming that that four star that they got from USC might very well start. You have when you look at the interior, you have Slade, you have Mallory coming back, you have Jalen Hunt coming back. You might have Rachel Old. You have Fletcher on the outside. Um, Beasley, I, is Beasley a senior? 
Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. You need That's one a big loss, actually. He's been good. And, well, yeah, he, he played better this year than Panishuk did. But I – you got three good defensive – you got to find another good defensive end, but you got a bunch of interesting players coming in. Um, but they're, they're decent on that side. I think Chase Klein's coming back, if I'm not mistaken. I think he has eligibility left. So you have him, Harvey. You might have – I don't know how you say the guy's last name, J-O-T or whatever you call it. <laughs> I know I just I'm not, yeah, not even gonna try. SC and then Xavier Henderson comes back. You have Dowell. Trey Person's probably gone. He's a senior. Um, so they got it. They, they got enough pieces to work with. They really do. And you said something, Stearns, before we move on to National Signing Day. Jacob Slade deserves a lot of credit this year. He's been very, very good and, and, and has not gotten his due, really. And you're right. He's been a pretty good pass rushing interior defense alignment. So I'll give Jacob, Jacob, Slade, Jacob Slade the credit he deserves. But let's move on to some recruiting stuff. Tucker signs his first class on Wednesday night. I mean, they're not done. There's some stuff going on today. Aldrich, uh, how, do I say, how do you say his last name? How do you pronounce Estime. it? Estime. Estime is supposed to sign today. Um, it doesn't – I don't think he's going to sign in Michigan State. He's been Michigan State's biggest recruit. For the past probably four months or so, and, and he keeps climbing up the rankings. It looks like he might be going to Notre Dame, but uh, I mean, big signings for MSU. They flipped that linebacker from USC that I can't pronounce his last name from Bishop Gorman. Uh, in the transfer portal, they get Russo, who's a guy who's played a lot of football in the American Football Conference, American. So what am I saying? American Athletic Conference. There you go. Sounds American Football Conference. It's like yeah, he played a lot in the AFL. But I move on. They signed uh, Auburn transfer Harold Joyner, number five recruit, I believe, in the 2018 recruiting class at running back. So talented guy, didn't really get an opportunity at Auburn. He departures into the portal. I think Julian, Julian Barnett was in the portal last week, so we already knew that. And Devontae Dobbs' Belleville team had joined them. Um, I want to start there, and I'm not going to go be the person say, well, Tucker's got to have his guys and stuff like that. And it, it, like these guys have all the right to transfer. I, if I, I signed up to play for Mark D'Antonio and now I'm playing for Mel Tucker, it's a lot different. I'm not getting on the field, but Hey, I, all, all the more power to you. I don't think this is a good look for Tucker personally. I just don't. And, and you can argue if these guys are going to play, if they're going to be that productive at all. I, I just, Losing two guys who are your higher in-state recruits in two years and not being able to keep them into the program, like regardless if they play that much, I, I just think that hurts a little bit in recruiting going down the road. Like, like it may, maybe that strange relationship on Belleville, a talent-filled like area. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know if you guys disagree. I do to an extent. I mean, I – I get it, but by the same token, you knew there was going to be lumps. You knew there was going to yes. be a degree of roster turnover. This isn't something that's new. And Mel is proven to this point he's not going to comprom compromise on the program vision, the program integrity. This is what we're going to do. I mean, frankly, that was evident after Elijah Collins for the better part of the year was benched. Um, so I'm not as upset about it because he's building his brand. Doesn't matter how high you were recruited. It doesn't matter. 
both Dobbs and Barney had offers from Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and Florida. And in that aspect, yes, it hurts because you don't get very many guys that go to Michigan State while having offers from Alabama, Michigan, and Notre Dame and every other Power 5 college football playoff contender. But he's not willing to sort of give Devontae Dobbs and Julian Barnett special treatment. Not saying that they're asking for it, but this is his message is basically that we're going to do X, Y, and Z. If that doesn't work for you, get out. That's basically how he's phrased, and that's basically the modus operandi that Michigan State is operating under. So if this, you know, more power to them. I mean, obviously, I agree with you 100% that these guys get, were, were recruited – these are Mark D'Antonio's guys. And Mel can say these are his guys, but this isn't his roster. You can't really start judging him until this 20, 2021 class comes in, the 2022 class. But you knew there were going to be lumps, and you knew that some good guys were going to leave just because it doesn't work out. It's not anybody's fault. It's just it, it's just a changing program. Mel is really dismantling the Mark D'Antonio era and trying to build it back from the ground up. He talks about it week after week after week in his media availability sessions. It's the same thing, building a culture of accountability and toughness. And it doesn't matter if you're a walk-on or if you're a borderline five-star like those two were, if it doesn't work out and you don't, whether it's, it's not a good program fit, he's not going to make concessions for you. And I think that's what this is, is Barnett and, Dobbs just saying, you know, nothing wrong, nothing wrong here, but we think other places are a little bit better for us. And Mel's going, that's fine, but we're not going to cut corners for you guys. I, I think that's what this is more than anything else. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, I and, and you talked about dismantling what D'Antonio did. It's obvious there's going to be – D'Antonio has been the most successful Michigan State coach in the modern era, and it's not even close, probably the best coach in the history of Michigan State considering the circumstances. And, and, and he had a formula. We're going to go get those three stars from Ohio. We'll find a couple guys in Kentucky, and, we're, and then we'll try and get a couple guys from the state of Michigan. The lower guys in Michigan, I think, are better than the highly recruited guys that they've historically gotten, leaving out Lawrence Thomas and William Golson, who are both really productive players from Mark D'Antonio. I'm just interested because it's obviously Tucker is taking a different approach. He made that big comment about the Michigan state. Like if you can't recruit at Michigan state, you can't recruit. It's a national brand and all that. He made that big, like, uh, like cliche thing that all the fans liked. I would be nervous. I, I, I would be careful what you wish for when you go recruit nationally, Michigan state. I'm just saying there's a formula for your success. And, and, and it's, I, I'm just saying you just go get the, I, you're, you, Mel Tucker's going to go get the guys he thinks he can work with and the guys who, I mean, he's going to get some good players. It seems like, so I agree with that, Joe. And, and, and I think he's a, he's a much better recruiter than D'Antonio was. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be like, sure. he's just, it, that's, he just has a different philosophy. I think he emphasizes that a lot more than Mark did. Well, I mean, and if you think about it, Ryan, you know, I mean, when you, and not to say that, you know, no one is thinking about this, but, when you look at the top programs in the country, time every year in and out, like we're talking the Alabamas, the Ohio State's, the Clemson's, the Georgia's, the Florida's, the A&M's, what do they do every single year? Top 10 classes. Exactly. That's how you win football This in this day yeah. and age of college football is you get the good transfers, you get the good recruits because the best players are going to win the biggest football games. And that's just, in my opinion, I mean, you could crunch the numbers. I guarantee you the teams that have made the playoffs have been a top five recruiting class. 
each of the last 10 years. And you got to recruit coast to coast. They no, have to do, it, it, do you though? Do you? Yes. I, I don't agree with that. I, I personally don't. Yes, you do. It's refreshing to see Mel going into floor because you build relationships with coaches. You build, you, you got to expand your horizon a little bit. I mean, you didn't see Mark going to New Jersey, whether estimate and I, I think Vandermark stays, but regardless, you didn't see Mark going into to New Jersey. You didn't see Mark going down to Venice. You didn't see Mark going into Nevada. I mean, you had some success in Texas, but there's a coast to coast recruiting approach. You got to get guys from the West. You got to get guys from the East. You got to get guys from the North. You got to get guys. And, and I thought that I thought, and I think that Tucker has shown that. I mean, the first step of all of this was when they got Russo, and then they got like Neo Day or whatever however you say his last name. Um, I think it's certain you say it with an N, not a G. But um, when you flip a guy from USC who's a four-star linebacker and potentially could get his brother, who's a five-star in the portal, um, and when you get a guy like Russo from Temple, you know, like I mean, who that like these are moves that are going to help you down the road. When they made the playoff under D'Antonio, they got really the most they could out of what they had. They had like, they, I mean, you had like guys. There were, I mean, there was, I mean, certain uh, stuff about New Jersey. I mean, Shalee Calhoun, maybe one of the best defensive players in Michigan state history in the Jersey guy, like they've gotten guys like that. I, I, I know what you're saying, but if you want to get back to that, which became kind of an expectation, I feel like for people yes, have, for those kind of things, if you want to get back to that, you guess what? Well, you have to recruit. You you're, you're, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just, I, I'm just saying, it's, and Mart's thing got stale. Like they weren't able to like sustain it, and it's probably because the coaches he had on his staff were probably shouldn't have been employed at that point still. Because Mart Antonio, his thing was they're going to develop guys and they're going to do it at a very high level, and I. Tucker's going to do it a different way. It's just, it's interesting to see because yeah. I, Mark D'Antonio, I, I like regardless of his last three to four years, his success cannot be understated how good he was at, at, at Michigan State. And I just think it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch the differences that talk, like this is, I think they're running at like Michigan State more like an SEC program than, than like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's going to be a lot of turnover on this roster every single year. You never really saw that with Michigan State. No, the, the, the Antonio, and first and foremost, you're absolutely right. Gr- greatest coach Michigan State's hands taken them to heights, not since Darty, and maybe the one Rose Bowl winning year in the eight, in '87 with Purdue. But D'Antonio's downfall was loyalty. Mel doesn't have loyal. If that's the one thing we've seen, oh, it's like there's it's no business for him. You don't play. You don't play well. Get out, so to speak. I mean, yeah, he's he treats it like a business yes. in some ways. If you feel like, I mean, which is not a bad thing. I mean, in football, because guess what? At the end of the day, if there's not results, then guess what? People aren't going to go to the NFL, and coaches aren't going to continue to get paid. They're going to lose jobs. Yeah. And yeah. So I mean, and that's just the nature of the game. That's the nature of college football. It's just how it is. It's a competitive landscape. Okay, last thing I want to say about recruiting. Um, Hamp Fay, kid from Texas, um, first quarterback brought in by the Tucker. Like he was, I, it seemed like he was going to Colorado if Tucker was at Colorado. Once he decided that Tucker was at Michigan State, he was end up at Michigan State. You bring in Russo, you got Thorne. What does his QB room look like next fall? Well, with Russo, it gets you get a guy who has 31 games under his belt, and a, and I mean, 
two bowl games at Temple as the starting quarterback. Um, I think that he's going to – I mean, I think that that's your guy for sure. In you my, think I, so? I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you see one of these guys depart. I would not be with the with Hamp Fay and um, – Well, I, I Rocky – Rocky or Day, I don't think either – they either – I think Day is probably going to, like, transfer to maybe a math school so he gets an opportunity to play. Yeah. And then I, I don't know what Rocky does because I – I don't think he's a quarterback, so yeah. I think you could see a position change. Yeah, I, I do too. So I, I think the room, like you said, there will be departures from the room, but I'm interested because I I would rather in this rebuilding process grow with a younger quarterback than just have a put a band-aid on a problem. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong for that? No, I mean I think that's fair. I I think you have to get somebody in the, the next recruiting cycle or get a transfer who's going to come in and play like right away. Right. And like, who's going to like, who can come in and like, is a guy that, you know, you can go to, even if he's a freshman. Um, Do I know if him phase that? No, but I think it looks like he's got the physical attributes to play the position. I mean, six, six and he can spin it, but you, it's just from, you know, making sure that they can run that offense. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see who, three years down the road as a quarterback could be him. Faye could be someone we have no idea who they are at this point, you know? I mean, it's a, this you're, you're not going to know until the fall or until, or until next, until next fall. I, I don't know if this was a move of legitimately trying to bring in a guy that can compete for the starting job, or if it was more of an aspect of just providing veteran leadership and giving somebody to mentor Hamp Faye and just kind of serving as a stopgap in the locker room. Yeah. I, I, I think it comes down to either Russo or Thorne. I think Faye, I, in the very, okay, in the very limited film I've watched, can, can, Joe said he can spin it. Arm strength is not an issue for this kid. The only issue is he's raw. He's not been able to stay healthy and he's still learning how to be a quarterback. But with that being said, all the success he had when he was healthy, down in Alamo in Texas. If you're doing good in Texas, you got something right. He's 6'5", 215, dual threat quarterback, good progression guy. He's not a one-read quarterback. I just He's more of a developmental guy. He's still very, very raw. But from a development aspect, he could be very, very good. But he's not – he's a couple years away. He's still got to learn how to play the quarterback spot. And then once he learns to do that, you got to learn how to play in a Big Ten level. So I think it's going to come down between either Thorne or – provided that nothing else happens. I think it's going to come down between Thornton and Russo. Russo's a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. He was good a couple of years ago, 21 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, and I think he had a 44 to 32 touchdown to interception ratio. But you take you take that sophomore year out, he was very mediocre as a freshman. I think it was a 14 to 14, so an even touchdown interception ratio, and then 9 to 6 this year. So he's good, but he's not – he's like a poor man's Peyton Ramsey. So I, but I do think he, it's going to come down between those two, but I don't think just because Russo comes in that he's going to be the ordained starter. I think it's going to be, it's going to be an open competition. You you have two or three guys that legitimately could be the one. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that'll be a storyline for you guys to watch. I mean, for us to watch as we get into the spring and as this winter progresses, because as Tucker says, they're going to be active in the portal. So, I mean, they already got two guys in the transfer portal. There could be more. And, and I wouldn't doubt there 
could be more on the offensive line, maybe the defense a lot, like just in the trenches, I could see stuff like that happening. But last thing before we get into pick them, this is more national stuff. I wanted to talk about this because everyone's complaining that, hey, there needs to be an 18 playoff and stuff like that. I, I want to get your guys' stance on this. I think this year, and I'm against an 18 playoff, is the perfect year to do one. If you're going to do one, you do it this year. And I understand you don't want to play more games because of the COVID. And, I, and that's probably why they stuck with four. But with a shortened season, a lot less people playing the same amount of games, like eight would have been fine. But personally, on a year-to-year basis, four is perfect. And, and I will never understand the necessity to have an 18 playoff that is in devalue the regular season. I don't get it. Why, why do people want to devalue the regular season? That's, I mean, I, <clears throat> I agree. I, I think I've always thought that there should be an 18 playoff. I've always felt that you should do. Well, why? I, why? I don't get that. Why? I, well, because, because why at the division two level, they have a tournament. Yes. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. FCS, which is division one, but it's mm-hmm. FCS, not FBS. They have a tournament. Mm-hmm. Why the highest level of the game where there's the most money to be made off the most amount of games, would you not have an eight team tournament of sorts? I, you could call it, you know, whatever, an 18 playoff of teams i mean every other level of sports has one every other sport has one i get the 14 playoff is a thing but to me you need to have the eight teams because you had the five conference championships and then you got the then you and you can it i don't mean this in a bad way but shut the mouths of the people who always say that you know you cf or myself byu can beat anybody you know but i was wrong but it gives you then the rest of the power like the you know the group of five then it gives them a chance. You get one of them, the Power Five champions, and then you have two wild cards. So it creates it creates a chance. You know, I think to me that's better college football. I I would prefer that personally, but I don't know if that's something that other people would. You know, I maybe yeah. that devalues the bowl games, like it would devalue the Rose Bowl. Okay, when they make the Rose Bowl like the national championship or something, or make the Rose Bowl the next. You know, I don't know. I actually don't hate that, Joe. I, I like talking about the Rose Bowl, like. It's like, I think Michigan State probably played in the last, when they played in 2014, that was the last, like, it's still special to go to the Rose Bowl if you win the Big Ten and you don't make the playoff. That's still special. But if you win the, like, the winner of the Big Ten is usually not going to the Rose Bowl. The winner of the Pat 12 might go to the Rose Bowl because they get shut out of the playoff almost every year, it seems like. But that would be cool, like the Rose Bowl being a national title. My just opinion is it's already like a playoff the whole year. It's, the, it's a regular season where if you're a national title contender, you got like basically no room for air. That's yeah, why I like yeah. college football. You could have, you could have put Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati against any they I Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. No matter they could go under. Cincinnati could go undefeated for three straight years coming into this year, going undefeated this year. I'm not sure that they get put in the top four. That's you're probably right. And, and if you if they were to expand, I think six is the right number instead of eight. That's just my I, thought. That to me is unfair because a team regardless of whether or not people think they would have a shot or not, a team like Coastal Carolina, if you go undefeated in, in, in NCAA basketball, if you go 32-0, and 0, Wichita State, you're a lock. You're getting in. And guess what? You might make the Final Four. You got a chance. Yeah. But, like, the whole thing with college basketball is, like, <clears throat> March Madness, favorite tournament of the year. Yes, it's and, the best. And, and, and the thing is, like, does the best team win? Do we want the best team to win? I think in college football – 
I think the playoff system, you've seen the best two teams playing a national title consistently. Am I wrong, Nate? Yes, but I, I'm kind of on the same wavelength, I think, with Joe here. I actually haven't given a lot of thought about it, but in the times you I have, you're, you have a current system right now that basically makes it where there will never be any mid-major school competing for anything. That's the problem and why people are so tired because it's Clemson and Alabama every bloody year. It's, it's, it's the hard. same three or four bloody teams every dang year. And from like a business aspect, from an outreach aspect to connect with your mid-major schools, it'd be great. You know how many people would be thrilled to see Coastal Carolina take on Or two or three years ago to see UCF take on Ohio State or Alabama? Or four years ago when you had Western Michigan go undefeated? I just – he's right. This is the only provision where there's no – you have a – for hockey – Women's basketball, men's basketball, every other thing, there's a tournament. A four-game thing is not a tournament. That's a series. And I just – I think from a business aspect, not only would it do any good, but it removes a lot of the ambiguity. Because you know, people get sick and tired of seeing a team like Ohio – seeing a team like Iowa State have a better shot at the playoffs than Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina. That's what annoys people is that – if you're like, whether you're in the American, whether you're in, I don't know, the Sun Belt, whether you're in, if you're not, even even the Pac-12, people get sick and tired of seeing the same four bloody teams. And I think it removes a lot of the ambiguity. And it's from, from a business aspect, it makes a crap ton of sense. I mean, from a viewership aspect, from a, a you know how many like co- like this year, Coastal Carolina, BYU, you have so many people jumping on that bandwagon. You would be able to generate so much talking on so on social media and so much revenue sales. I I, I think it works. I really really do. I, I and I the the NFL has an, I mean the NFL you now moved to seven. The NHL has eight. The NBA has eight. MLB now I think is at five. So nobody else has four. That's literally only a college football thing. So I would expand a date. I really would. Well, this is this is my one point that I've always said. It's the Iron Bowl. Alabama's number two or something. Auburn's a top 25 team. They're not making the playoff. Does Alabama – like, Alabama's getting in regardless if they lose to Auburn. Like, that, I, I just think it could devalue some of those games that I think college football fans hold very high. And, and, and I don't know. I, that's just my personal opinion. I've always thought that. And I, I just think the best team wins every year, and we're getting very good national title games usually. So I haven't had a problem with it. And, and you're probably right. I, I Like the, it's going to expand at some point once this TV deal runs out with ESPN. I do. And, and, and the committee has some issues. Because it, I mean, for Iowa State to even be thought of as a better team than Indiana is ridiculous to me. Just put on the, just watch the two. They're t- just watch them. And I get Penance is hurt and all that. So like they, and you can be like the Big Ten might be down. I don't care. It's obvious. Iowa State's not that good, and they're the number six team in the country. And, and them not moving Florida at all, basically, after losing to an LSU team that's basically in major dysfunction is preposterous. But I, I don't think eight teams helps that, like the committee be better. And I also don't think eight teams solves your problem with the mid-majors and at-large teams. I still think you're going to have, like, you might get three teams from the SEC, like, you know, and, and there would have to be probably stipulations that a group of five team makes it 
if they were ever going to do that. But what if a year later, group of best group of five teams say nine and two or something? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's not even a college football number. Nine and three, excuse me. But okay, I just wanted to mention that because that was on my mind. And I figured we would talk about it because this is a college football podcast. So, yeah. Okay. We pre-recorded the pick today. Joseph Dandron is not, <laughs> is not in the beginning of the show because he was a little lackadaisical getting out of bed. I hate to say it, Joe. Well, but yeah, it was. It's been a, it was a, Joe, I I'll say this. Joe took responsibility on like last week when he just decided to get a bagel mid-show. Maybe one of the most ridiculous things I've ever yeah, seen. I had several people tell me that that was absolutely preposterous. <laughs> It was just, it was just uh, like your your camera went dark, and we were like, "Where's Joe?" I'm like, "Joe, are you in the car?" I, I was listening back to the episode, and I could hear everybody slowly discovering that I had departed from my car. Yeah, we we're like, "Oh my!" I got in my car, and you could hear the like. I was just laughing because I just imagine you in line at this place getting a sandwich, and they're like, "Joe Dadger," and you're like, "Yes," and it's just like Eric. Nate and me just yelling in the background about Michigan State's like defensive line. I got my AirPods in. I yeah. that's exactly what happened. Actually, you know, I'm so some breaking news. Davion Williams in the transfer portal. That is a lot of Belleville players. Holy crap. Yep. Not surprising. That's Belleville players. Holy nice, nice MSU football. Don't that's it. Yeah, that Belleville line. Gabe Brown's the only one left. So <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But yeah, <laughs> Eric Bob joins us. Uh, I don't have the records on me. I, I'll t- we'll tweet them out. How about that? We'll tweet them out. Uh, yeah, we won't have Bot to handle that. Yeah, well, yeah, Bot's on a plane from Wilmington to Atlanta. But he, 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 if his audio doesn't sound good, he recorded from an airport, which we kind of discussed. But take a listen to that. Hi, I'm Paul. We now welcome on. Eric Bach from the Wilmington airport. And, and, right. and it's a pleasure for Eric Bach. Unlike Joseph Dandron, can't get out of bed. Eric Bach is able to come from us from an airport. You, you see the yeah. dedication with Bach compared to Dandron. It's very on brand for somebody on this podcast to be on the show while traveling. Yeah. Although, and, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Joe last week gets a bagel mid show. This week can't even get up for the pick'em. Just unbelievable. I, I, by the way, I haven't decided what we're gonna do with this record. I, I consider myself the commissioner of the pick'em. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I would say Bach. Bach might be the commissioner, but Bach is kind of with the records where they are right now. It might yeah. be biased for Bach to have a say what we do with. Yeah, the you pick. should. You should. You should As keep the, that for yourself. If me being in last place. He might be disqualified this week. He might take an Owen like eight. It, it, it might be on this. So I haven't made my decision. If he is able to hop in mid pits, I might give him the benefit of the doubt. But if he doesn't show up in the next 10 to 12 minutes, he, he might be getting an Owen eight on the SRC pick him login. I think that's the only fair outcome. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Get it going because Eric Bott's out of board a plane in about 15 minutes. That's right. Start off match championship tonight, 7.30 p.m., Buffalo Lane 13.5 versus Ball State. We'll start off with Nathan Stearns. Give me Buffalo. They've absolutely destroyed everybody they've played, and it seems every year they're always the team to beat in the MAC. I don't know what that running back's name is that went for 10,000 yards and ran for 10,000 touchdowns, but he's going to run for 10,000 more touchdowns tonight, and you're going to see why Buffalo is as good as they are. Give me the Bulls. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with Stearns here. Um, after that disaster at the end of the game last week, basically a band on the field incident uh, at Ball State against Western Michigan, I, my confidence in the Cardinals is at an all-time lows. And, I mean, you have a player like that in the MAC that Stearns mentioned. I just – I don't see – I don't see Buffalo not covering this. So give me the Bulls as well. That I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Eric, because that was a scene of all scenes, that Western Michigan Ball State game. That I don't know what was going on there. That was actually – that was so on brand for the match. But oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to piggyback what you guys say. I like the Buffs 13 and a half. I, I feel like they're just way better than Ball State. I feel like Buffalo yeah. Western is more of an even matchup. Western kind of let their guard down last week against – Ball State, and this is what they're going to get. Okay. Move on. Pat 12 championship. Number 13, USC, minus 3, 8 p.m. tonight against the Oregon Ducks. People are saying USC is like a sleeper to get in the playoff mix. That's not going to happen. And, and, and regardless that they're minus 3, I – no, I'll take – I'll get – I like USC. I like Keaton Slovis. I, I think he's pretty productive quarterback. Last week against UCLA, that was a good win to come back. And UCLA is actually a pretty good team this year. And then Chip Kelly started to turn that program around a little bit. So uh, I'll take the Trojans minus three. Oregon. I'll go. Okay, go ahead. I was just going to say Oregon just shouldn't even be in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I didn't even because mention Washington, it. Washington had to bow out due to COVID issues. So this is a no-brainer USC for me. Oregon has looked – I mean, losing to Oregon State and losing to Cal is not exactly a murderer's row of opponents. And to make, to make ends meet, UC, uh, UC – USC was a big reason why I didn't completely tank in the pick last week. I still had another wah-wah-wah week. But them coming <laughs> and finding a way to win by five kind of helped me save face. So this is easy for me. Give me the Trojans. A wah-wah-wah week. What a description. Love that. What a description right there. Okay, move on to the Big Ten country. I don't know why they're playing this game at noon. I hate it. Did they – I Eric, did they play this game at like 3.30 last year? No, it's always been the primetime game. That's what I thought. So, I, I don't get why the Big Ten championship game is at noon this year. I guess it's probably got to do something with Fox. But number 14, Northwestern, getting 20 points. And it's number four, Ohio State Buckeyes, noon on Fox. Um. Do you guys think this line's too big or right where it should be? I think it's too small. I'm going okay. Ohio State. Um, I think that Ohio State has historically needed to look really good in the Big Ten championship game to get in the playoff, and they've consistently blown people out in the Big Ten championship game. I don't see that changing. I don't think Northwestern has any type of offensive firepower to keep up with uh, Ohio State. Give me the Buckeyes by way more than 20. Stearns, what do you think? As much as I like Northwestern, I've kind of gone back and forth on this line because this is a big line and the Buckeyes are going to be down several players. But you can't go wrong picking Ohio State. I just think there's such a massive, massive – if Northwestern scores 10 points, I'll be surprised. I really, really will. You're not going to be able to keep Ohio State's offense down forever. They'll go on a run of scoring 21 points in a quarter. I just – I think they'll be better, but you just can't hang with Ohio State for four quarters. They don't have the manpower as good as their defense is. Nobody's really tested that Northwestern secondary because there's nobody like Ohio State who has such an air raid offense at such a West Coast offensive style and can get the ball down and can get the ball out so quickly. I got to go with the Buckeyes here too. Uh, I'm going to actually take Northwestern, and I agree with a lot of the points you guys said. I don't think this is ever a game. 
I, I, I just said Pat Fitzgerald is such a good coach, and you give him this sort of preparation. Like, I, I could see Northwestern going out there, scoring a touchdown, and kind of keeping it close. Like, it's a 17-7 to game going into the back half of the third quarter, and Ohio State kind of puts it on them and, and Northwestern back doors. I think it's going to be like a 34-17 to win for Ohio State. Uh, and, and I think that will be enough for Ohio State to get in the playoff, regardless. So, do you think USC has a gripe, though? I, I was thinking about this. No. no, I don't think so either. People are like – well, they've played almost the same amount of games. I'm like, I think the caliber, it, like, it just eye test. It's like, come on, guys. We don't need to have this discussion. Totally agreed. The Big Ten is – the Big 20, Ten and the Pac-12 are in two different two different universes right now. Yeah, and Pac-12 sucks, dude. They got to figure it out. Ohio State – you just put Ohio State and USC on the field together, it's not going to be pretty. Okay, moving on to another team that's kind of pissed me off the last couple of weeks, the Iowa State Cyclones, number six in the country. Is Iowa State number six in the country? No. Absolutely not. And guess, what, guess what? They're getting six points in the Big 12 championship game, and it's number 10, Oklahoma, noon, I believe, on ABC. Um, I'll start us off. I think Oklahoma wins by two touchdowns. And if you watch the Iowa State-Oklahoma game earlier this year, Spencer Rattler actually played pretty well. They just – he had no help around on that game. A lot of drops, a couple fumbles, and, and then Iowa State just did all they could at the very, very end of the game to close that out. I, I just think Oklahoma's a way better team than Iowa State. I think they blow Iowa State out. Don't pick against Lincoln Riley. It's easy for me. Give me the Sooners. Yeah. I just think – I don't know what the committee sees in Iowa State. Like, it just defies all logic. I don't really understand it. And so, Oklahoma. Okay. Move back to the SEC, and look who it is. Joe Dandron shows up. And, and, and Joe, I, and we've come to a discussion. I've come to my decision. You have forfeited the first five games of the Pick'em. You are 0-5 coming into the Pick'em. Oh, No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You made it in time. I'll get, I'll let you put your picks in at the very end once we're done, but we got to get Eric Bach out of here soon. So we'll nine minutes till takeoff here. Yeah. Nine 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 minutes. minutes, What? Nine minutes till takeoff. Eric Bach is just grinding in the Wilmington airport, but uh, Joe Dantron couldn't get out of his bed to get on this podcast. Yeah, you're right. Where have you been? Yeah, I've returned the rental car, gone through TSA, checked in my bag, driven 45 minutes from my place to the airport, and I was on the show before you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Joe's, else to say. Said, Joe's like, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because I don't. I don't. I'm, okay. I'm, okay. Tennessee plus 14, number five, Texas AM. They're hoping for an Ohio State slip up um, noon. I actually kind of like this is kind of got the feeling of a Texas A&M letdown, kind of like Florida was last week. None of us had swept to that Florida game last week. None of us. We didn't see LSU going in there and just, I mean, their defense causing that many turnovers, trash throwing pit sits. I don't think Tennessee's going to win, but I do think this game will be close. So you're picking Tennessee then? Yes. Tennessee covering 14. Okay. Same thing I said about Ohio State, I'll say about Texas A&M. They have to look impressive as all get out. Your last 
your last act before the committee is your most important. That is what has been historically true. And Texas A&M, if they get up, Jimbo's not going to let up. I mean, they need to look as impressive as possible if Ohio State loses because, you know, there could be some competition for that fourth spot. Even if Ohio State does lose, they could still be in consideration. So Texas A&M needs to look impressive. So I think they're going to cover 14 and beat the beat the brakes off Tennessee. Joe Dandron. This is Tennessee is like they've been up and down all season. You know, we talked about not me not watching any Tennessee football, but they have We've kind of weirdly talked about Tennessee a lot on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. this year, yes. But yeah. but AM, like Eric said, they need to impress the committee. You've got they're gonna have to put up a lot of points. I'm gonna take but 14's a lot of points. I'm still taking AM, but ugh, I don't know how okay. I feel about that. Easy for me, give me AM Tennessee. I know I kind of went off on my own little rant, but you're a three, you're a three and sixteen. You you beat Vanderbilt by twenty five. Congratulations! This is easy for me. I don't think Tennessee's any good at anything. Okay, the game everyone's kind of been looking forward to since that game itself been earlier this year. Number two Notre Dame getting ten and a half to number three Clemson four p.m. on ABC. Um, the lines obviously bid because Notre Dame I don't think has to win this game to stay in the playoff, and I don't think anyone believes that. I do think if they get hammered, like they lose by like 50 to Clemson, like you maybe can make the argument that like them playing against a Clemson less Trevor Lawrence, like, you know what I mean? Uh, maybe, but uh, I'm going to take Clemson plus 10 and a, I mean, minus 10 and a half. I, I, I just, I believe in Notre Dame. It's just the motivation for Clemson compared to what Notre Dame's motivation is coming into this game. It's just so far, like, in distance. I think Clemson wins by two touchdowns. I'm on the same boat with you, Collins. I'm going to take the Tigers, too. Is There's too much of a golf here. There really, really is. Notre Dame's ma- – or Clemson's mad. If we're going off of Eric's logic that you really need all the style points you can get, Clemson's in that boat, and they got to win. They have to find a way. This is win or go home for them. I, you can't pick against Lawrence. You can't pick against ETN in these kind of games. More often than not, when you pick the Tigers and you pick the Crimson Tide, you're going to be in good shape. So I'm going to go with the Tigers here. I have the rule about never picking against Clemson or Alabama, and yet here I go picking Notre Dame. I've been on Notre Dame the whole year. I think that Ian Book, Notre Dame, I said it on the last show, has everything you need to be a playoff team. You have an experienced quarterback, uh, pass rush that gets after people and really good skill guys. And I just, I, Clemson will maybe win the game, but I don't think they'll cover 10 and a half. I think that both, both Notre Dame and Clemson are playoff teams. And I think Notre Dame covers 10 and a half. I, I'm going to go with Eric on this one. <clears throat> Notre Dame has been, I mean, the, when I saw plus 10 and a half, Clemson, when I saw Clemson minus 10 and a half, I thought that was ridiculous. That's way too many points for a team that had already beat them. Um, in my opinion, I just, I don't know Clemson. Yeah, they had they didn't have Trevor Lawrence in the last one, but I mean, regardless, I mean their backup quarterback still put up forty points on Notre Dame's defense. I mean, this is a great football, two great football teams. I think the line's got to be a lot closer than what it is. Um, I'm taking Notre Dame. I just don't know what Notre Dame Notre Dame's like motivation is coming into this game because they're basically in the playoff already. They have to I be mean, competitive to be in the playoff. They lose by two touchdowns. They're in though. Know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. They when lose, I say they, competitive, they, I mean don't get blown out by four scores. Okay. 
move on back to the Big Ten battle for Paul Bunyan's. That's one of the few games actually being played in the Big Ten on this championship week idea that Kevin Warren had. Wisconsin minus 13 against Minnesota, 4 p.m. I hate Minnesota. They've killed me all year. I'm not taking Wisconsin minus 13. If you watch Wisconsin the last three weeks, they can't move the football. And Graham Mertz has regressed mightily. I don't know. I don't know if Cone is healthy or something. I, I mean, they have looked horrible on the offensive side of the field. So uh, I'm going to take Minnesota plus 13. I just think that's way too many points for an offense as anemic as Wisconsin. I've gotten burned each of the last two weeks picking Wisconsin. I was, I was an idiot that thought Wisconsin was going to find a way to beat Iowa last week, and they burned me too. They burned me when they played Indiana, and they burned me last week. So I'm not going to get burned again. Give me the Gophers. Joe Dandrew. Go ahead, Joe. It's I. I watched the Iowa Wisconsin game last week. I may have put a little bit of money on that one. How how ugly was that game, Joe? That was it was ridiculous. It everything was that could everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was Not terrible. Bad. I yeah, because I was picking Wisconsin. And <laughs> it's and I could not believe neither team really. Neither team could really move the ball. Um obviously any Iowa won, but that was more because of Wisconsin's incompetence than anything yeah. else. And especially on the offensive side. That offense is just not good and I don't know what's wrong I don't know why Graham Mertz has regressed maybe he's got like a COVID arm I don't know whatever like just <laughs> I give like me that COVID arm <laughs> Wisconsin minus 13 though against a really really bad Minnesota team I'm still taking them wow okay by the way Smith Marset just hurting himself doing a flip into the end zone not a good look for the Iowa wide receiver Eric Bach who do you got in this game I really you know these are two teams that have just so badly disappointed this year and when it's two teams you can't trust it makes it really impossible to make a pick um where is this game where is this this game located i believe it's being played at minnesota okay give me the gophers then okay that's seriously that's seriously the only logic that i have about this game yeah, I don't know, dude. I This feels like a game Minnesota will play up for because this is actually a very big rivalry, but I don't know. And, no. and Wisconsin, the way Wisconsin looked last week, in good faith, I can't pick them. Like, that was just one of the uglier offensive performances I've seen in the Big Ten this year. Move on, last game on the slate for us, 8 p.m., Number seven, Florida, absolutely throws away their season last week in Gainesville, blowing a game to LSU. Shout out to that kicker for LSU, making a 57-yard kick, making it by like 10 yards. Florida's getting 17 and a half, and it's number one, Alabama. And I hate to be to be the sucker. I'm taking Florida. I literally think they're going to lose by 17. Yeah, I have to go right now, and I'm going to stick with my logic, Alabama. Roll Tide, they always cover for me. Okay, thank you, Eric, for doing this. What a performance. Safe travels, Eric. Yeah, safe travels. Okay, Joe Danger, who do you like in this game? Um, I mean, the Florida I, – I also watched that Florida LSU game because – That was a great because, game. Because of, you know, investments. Yes. And, and so I couldn't believe – like, I, I mean, it, you could tell from the jump in that game. You could tell from the first snap of that game that LSU's defense came to play because it was like a it was like a roll out right, trash through it, DB just smoked wide receiver, like almost took the ball away. And 
I I mean, from the jump out Florida, just for some reason you're playing at home. I don't know if it was the weather. They didn't. It was very fluky. Let's let's say that too. There was a lot of fluky plays that happened. There was a pick six. There was an interception. The interception that got batted up. Yeah, like five times. Like like, it was fluky. Yes, don't get me wrong. There was, but you could tell from the jump that it had the feel of a team because they come into that game. They were favored by twenty plus, and it was like coming into that. You were like, okay, like. This team could like either blow them out or they're going to get upset. It's not going to be anywhere in between. And what happened? So exactly. I don't know. I don't like Florida here. I like Alabama. I, that's like the safe pick. I feel like when you have a team that's as good as that, but I'm taking Alabama. Roll Tide, you don't pick against the Tide in the championship. Yeah, but that's I, it, I that's fair. I don't know. I just – I feel like Florida offensively, does enough things like Dan Mullen, like he hasn't been successful against Alabama. I feel like they move the football against them. And, and, and I, I, Alabama's a store almost every possession because they're that just offensively talented. I don't know. I think Florida's able to keep pace with them for about three quarters and then Alabama takes over, but good, good week of the pick them. I don't know. Is there any games that week? For what are you saying? College football? Like, are there any games that week? I know there's bowls and stuff, and, and we'll figure out I, a lot of know. that stuff after. But, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do since Michigan State season kind of looks like it might be over because I, I, I've heard some players already go home. I don't know if they're accepting a bowl bid at this point. So, uh, Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, I, I've heard that from a couple of kids I know on the team. But So, I, I, I don't know. They haven't accepted a bowl bid yet. I think some of the kids are going home. So, Michigan State season might be over, so I don't know if we do a season recap next week or the week after. We'll figure that out as more news comes, like, tumbling in. We still got a couple things left to talk about in recruiting that we talked about earlier on the show. But for now, for Ryan Collins, Nathan Stearns, Joe Dandron, and Eric Bach, thank you, Eric, for coming on to pick them. We'll see you guys next week.